take your Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to begin in chapter 3 in this uh, wonderful book. Last week we uh, began a, a journey of sorts through this book we call Ecclesiastes and we learned some very important lessons. We learned that when you choose to live your life in such a way that you withhold pleasures from yourself, well that's really futile, what's the point of that? That makes life just unenjoyable. But other people go to the other extreme. More people, in fact, go to the extreme of a living life for the moment. And uh, we came to the conclusion uh, as we uh, followed what Solomon was saying. Solomon was the one who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And, of course, Solomon was a man of uh, incredible wisdom, a man of varied experiences. He had gone through more than most of us can probably even imagine. The Lord granted him wisdom, but you have to understand when God gave him wisdom, it, it didn't just happen in, the, in a split second, but it happened over the course of his life. And so Solomon was one who had the wisdom of God, and as he experienced the, uh, all the different things that life had to offer, he was able to see beyond just the mere experience of it to the eternal principles that are found uh, in God's truth and in God's holiness. And so uh, as Solomon journeyed through life, a lot of the things he wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes were things that he was experiencing and felt and believed at the time. And he uh, wasn't able to come to a full realization of everything until we reach the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. But as he uh, journeyed through this uh, life of his, and he tried to live it up, live for the moment. He had multiple wives, multiple concubines. He had all the riches that you can imagine. He had male and female servants. He built houses. He did great, magnificent works. All of this led him to the conclusion that it's all futile. Because in the end, the, the wise man and the fool both have the same fate. They both die. So what's the point of living wisely, he asks. If in the end, we all suffer the same fate, what's the point of making the choices that I make? And he realized that all the works of human hands, everything that he might try to accomplish, even that which might outlive himself, will ultimately be left in the hands of those that follow after us, those that survive us, our relatives or whoever else. And so everything you do, all the money you acquire, the buildings you build in your name, whatever it is, the, the pieces of equipment or the houses, the land, the animals, whatever it is that you acquire, you can't take it with you. You have to leave it in the hands of those that survive you. And who knows, Solomon found out, whether those people will share your principles whether they will share your values. In fact, they might destroy everything that you worked for, everything that you devoted your life to. And so what's the point of accomplishing great things? Solomon asked. Is there anything on earth that is guaranteed to last forever? In what should you invest your life? And Solomon discovered what that was, and we found that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. We read this last week, and it says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it, for God has so worked that men 
should fear him. We know elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, Solomon told us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to be a wise person, where does that begin? It begins by having a right relationship with God and understanding your place only small you are compared to this great and powerful God. How powerless you are, how limited your life is compared to His eternal nature. And so when you understand your place before God and you come to a healthy respect and even a fear of God, if you can imagine walking before a king, just a human king that held life and death and in your life and death in his hands, and you had to go before the king and come into his very presence, into the, the throne room of the king, you'd probably be a little bit anxious. You'd probably be a little bit nervous walking toward the king. Well, that's the way it should be when we understand God, because he's the ultimate king. And so as we come before him in his presence, there needs to be a healthy fear and an understanding and a respect for God. And that is the beginning point if you want to live a, a wise life. If you don't have a fear of God, you're not going to be wise. But if you have a fear of God, you can begin that journey of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes 3.14, Solomon says, based on that fear that I have of God, I know that everything God does will last forever. The implication is that everything that I do might not last forever. I might leave it in the hands of someone who would destroy it. And so Solomon understood this principle that God has given to each person a portion of life you have a certain portion or a certain number of years of life you don't know how long you're going to live but however long you live whether it's short or whether it's long that is your portion that's what God has allotted to you and you have this portion of life you have a portion of wealth as well you don't know how much in the end uh, you're going to make as a, as a hard worker or as a lazy worker or whatever it is you don't know how much money you're going to make but whatever it is, that is your portion in life. And God has granted that to you. He's given you intelligence. He's given you a certain personality. He's given you experiences. And each one of us have a different portion in life. And so we call that our life portion. And the wisest investment that you can make is to join God where he is working because that alone is eternal. And so you should invest your life portion, your wisdom, your intelligence, your wealth, your lifespan, your time, everything that God has given you, you should invest to the best of your ability in the things that God is working. Wherever God is working, join Him there. And that's where wisdom really lies, using your life portion, everything that you have, where God is working. So last week we came to that understanding, and understanding that puts you on the path of wisdom. But now it's important to continue walking on that path. And if we're going to walk on the path of wisdom for the rest of our lives, we're really going to have to get our heads around two very important Hebrew concepts. Two, two concepts that we need to capture in our minds. And one of them has to do with time. The other has to do with judgment. And here's the summary of what Ecclesiastes has to teach with regard to, to time. As far as time goes, your time is limited. Life is short. And so Ecclesiastes tells us that our own experience should tell us that as well. Life is short. We've only got a limited number of hours and days on this earth. And so have that as a basis of your understanding. The second is judgment. 
not only is God's judgment coming for each one of us, but really from a human perspective, we look at life and we come to a conclusion that, well, life is unfair. Sometimes life is just unfair. It's just not fair. It's not fair for me to work so hard and, and build these great magnificent works and leave them in the hands of someone else I might tear them down. It's not fair for me to uh, have to go through this experience when someone else, boy, they're just the chosen one and they've got it easy. Life's just not fair. Well, we need to deal with that. But regardless of whether life is fair or not, in the end, the only one whose judgment really matters is going to make determinations, and he is going to judge each of our hearts. And so these two concepts, time and judgment, are very important concepts that will help us as we continue on this journey of life. And today we're going to explore some passages in Ecclesiastes that can help us as we go further on this path of wisdom. The first one is found in the very next verse that we just read. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14, the very next verse, verse 15, and we're going to read some verses beyond that. It says this, That which is has already has been already and that which will be has already been for God seeks what has passed by this is one of the most confusing verses that I think I've ever read in my life think about it let's read it again that which is has been already and that which will be has already been for God seeks what has passed by what in the world are we talking about here we can probably understand in this verse there's three aspects of time the past the present and future solomon seems to be saying the present has already happened and the future has already happened oh what does that mean that that's really confusing because it doesn't seem that way to us you know here's the deal what Paul, what solomon is saying is that what happened in the past is a good indicator of the present and what's happening now is a good indicator of what's going to happen in the future. I'll give you a real simple example. Let's take something obvious. I could get one of those basketballs over there, and I could take that basketball, and I could drop it on this floor. We all know what's going to happen. The basketball is going to bounce, right? Why? How do we know that's going to happen? Because it happened in the past. The past is a pretty good indicator of the present. And it's all a pretty good indicator of what's going to happen in the future. That's just a, a natural law of science with regard to gravity and whatever other kind of scientific laws happen when a basketball bounces. Spiritual laws are just as reliable as physical laws. Give you a real easy spiritual law to understand. A man reaps what he sows. You reap what you sow. We know from our farmer friends that if they go out there and they uh, plant cotton, they're going to grow cotton, not bananas or anything else. It's going to come up cotton. In our spiritual lives, whatever you sow into your life, that's what you're going to get back. So if you sow a lot of bitterness, you're going to get back a lot of anger. You sow a lot of grace, you're going to receive back grace. And so spiritually, this is something that we can look at our past and we can see what's gone on. Even in Scripture, the, the stories that we read a long time ago in the past, 
we can glean principles from Scripture and we can put them into our lives today and we can rest assured that this is the way it's going to be. A man reaps what he sows. So, so physical laws, spiritual laws, moral laws, all of that, they were all put into place by what Revelation 1.8 says, by him who is and was and is to come. He is the one who never changes. And the life principles, regardless of what form they take, will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that's what Solomon's talking about when he says that which is has, already, has been already and that which will be has already been. Then the next part of that verse says, For God seeks what has passed by. What does that mean? Well, we know that God is outside of time. He's, he's not bound by time. He doesn't, God doesn't simply live in the present. God is present with us. But God is beyond the concept of time. God is the one who created time. He, God, and from his perspective, he has seen the past, he's seen the present, and he's seen the future because he stands outside. The, one of the best illustrations that I could give, and it's not a perfect one, you can't stretch it too far, but it's like that God is the artist of a painting. And God has created this magnificent uh, artistic work and then he stands back and he admires the whole thing. You and I, we are a part of the painting. We're actually just a piece of it. And from our perspective, we can't see the whole piece. But we can only see that which is right around us. We can only see that which we experience. Very limited compared to God's perspective. That's similar to the way that I understand God to to relate to time God sees all of human history the past the present and the future it's all to God from if we were to put it in a, a human perspective it's all past to God it's all because from us it's something that we've already experienced but from God he's already experienced it all even the things that haven't happened yet from our perspective and so God seeks what has passed by it's a way of saying it's as if god sits at the end of time and he looks back at everything that has passed by he allowed or he superintended all of the events that happened in the world and he allows time to continue right to the very end the next verse verse 16 solomon writes furthermore i have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. You look at the places that, what, what are the places where there should be justice and righteousness? Well, you look at, let's say, a court system, our legal system. We depend on our legal system to do the right thing, to do the fair thing, to provide justice. But we've all seen from time to time, even the very best intended legal system has problems has frailties because no one is perfectly righteous evil and immorality is something that's found even in the institutions that are supposed to uphold righteousness and justice like the court system or like a church you know you go to a church and you want it to be like a little slice of heaven but sometimes we come to the realization that real life sinners are here in church and so 
we mess up in our relationships with one another and, and sometimes things don't become as pleasant as they should be. Why is that? It's because wickedness is in the heart of man, even in the heart of someone who's saved. There's still that battle that we have to deal with with regard to uh, wickedness. It's something that all of us deal with. So that's what Solomon is saying there in verse 16. Verse 17, he says, I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man. For a time for every matter and for every deed is there. Only God has the perfect righteousness, the inherent righteousness, and, and even the ability to judge fairly. Even if you and I, let's suppose that we looked at a, a case, and you, were, you and I were on a jury, and we were supposed to judge someone's guilt or innocence. And let's suppose that on this jury, we were able to see all the evidence. No evidence was withheld. The judge did not withhold any evidence. We saw everything. We would still not be in a position to judge eternally because only God sees the heart. Only God also is perfectly righteous in His heart. And so we do the very best that we can when we have to uh, make temporary judgments here on this earth. But only God has the ability and the inherent righteousness to judge eternally and fairly. And so the important lesson for the path of wisdom that we're on is this. God's judgment is coming. Solomon says God's going to judge the righteous man. He's going to judge the wicked man. Judgment's coming. You need to understand that all the days of your life. Because when you live your life and you're tempted or you live your life and you have a choice to uh, go in this direction or that direction, you need to understand that God's judgment is coming. God will hold us accountable for the choices that we make. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, if you'll turn with me just a few pages over, we learn a little bit more about time and judgment in these verses here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning in verse 5 and 6, we read, He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. Verse 6 says, For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. Solomon basically says, If you heed God's commands, you're going to grow in wisdom. And the wise man knows that there's a time and there's a place for everything. You can go back and read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 2 through 8, where it talks about uh, there's a time to be born, a time to die. That famous passage there. there. There's a time for everything. A wise man knows that. And if you're wise, you're going to heed God's command, and you're going to grow in wisdom. There's going to be times in your life, according to these two verses, in chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, where life's going to be a tremendous burden. A man's trouble is heavy upon him. Life won't be fun. There are times when life's just not fun when uh, joy can be elusive but don't give up you know when you have that that bad time that sometimes we have a bad day and we have a bad week have you ever had a bad month have you ever gotten to the end of a year and thought oh glad that year's over that was a bad year you know you, you look back and yeah you've been there i've been there you just have bad times sometimes but don't give up don't quit don't quit on god don't quit on life 
Hang in there. Good times are coming. Circumstances can change in a moment. Even people can change. And so hang in there. Every new day brings new opportunities. Verses 7 and 8 continue in chapter 8. It says, If no one knows what will happen, who can tell them when it will happen? That's a great verse. I like that. No one knows what's going to happen, so who's going to tell them when it's going to happen? If you don't know what's going to happen, how are you going to tell someone when it's going to happen? Verse 8. No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in the time of war. And evil will not deliver those who practice it. You know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We think we do. We think, okay, tomorrow's Monday, you know, and, and it's, tomorrow's a holiday. So uh, let's take Tuesday as an example. Tuesday, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to get off work. I'm going to go home. I'm going to eat dinner. I'm going to uh, go to bed. That's what's going to happen on Tuesday, right? We think we know what's going to happen, but we really don't. What if you get sick and you can't work that day? You don't know. You might think something's going to happen, but you just don't know. And we don't know when, the time, when our time in this life will be over. All we know is that after death comes the judgment. We don't know if we're going to live even to the end of this day. And so what's going to happen to those who practice evil in this life? Are they going to escape the judgment of God? God says no. They will not escape his judgment. And so, again, we have these two themes tied together, time and judgment. We don't know how much time we have, but we do know God's going to judge us. And so we need to live wisely. A wise person understands the implications of these principles for his life. Jump down to verse 12 of chapter 8. Ecclesiastes 8, 12 and 13. It says, Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. Okay, I want you to take note of something. He talks about a sinner. A sinner can mess up a hundred times and be okay. As far as the length of life, you just don't know. But the next verse tells us something a little bit different. It says, but it will not be well for the evil man. And he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. It seems to me, and I could be wrong in this, but that Solomon is making a distinction between the sinner and the evil man. Now, to you and I, we'd say, well, if, you're, if you sin, you're evil, right? But I think Solomon is making some distinctions here. Just like if you read the book of Proverbs, you read about the people that are evil and the people that are just fools. There seems to be a distinction in what happens to them. Here, Solomon, I think, is making a distinction between someone who's a sinner, someone who messes up. They get carried away by their own uh, frailty of the human heart, they, they fall into sin, they're enticed into sin, and they, they goof, they mess up, and sure enough, it's not just a mistake, but it's a sin. It's a sin against God. It's an important thing. It's a holy thing that they violated. But Solomon says someone can mess up because his heart is desperately wicked and it leads him astray. And he might even lengthen his life. Not by sinning, but just because he's not held to that strict of an account for it that God would immediately take his life. But the evil man, on the other hand, the evil man seems to be someone who has not only sinned, but someone who has said, I don't care about God. 
I don't fear God. I don't believe in God. I choose to do my own thing, and I openly defy God. I dare him to do anything about it. That person who is evil, who also gets to the point where he leads other people into his sin, he rejoices in his sin. He calls good bad and bad good. He celebrates his sin. That person who has made a final declaration in his heart, God, I don't need you. Get out of my life. That person will not lengthen his life. A sinner, someone who has fallen into sin due to the impurities of his own heart, that sinner still has a chance to repent. God is patient with that sinner. But someone who has rejected God with all finality, that person is walking on very thin ice. Verse 14, Solomon continues. He says, There's futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. What's Solomon talking about? He's talking about the old axiom, why do bad things happen to good people? And that bad things do happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. I mean, you watch the news, and don't you get tired of watching all of these uh, evil people, uh, especially politicians come to my mind, who somehow they escape everything, and uh, they're honored and uh, enriched and everything else. And we know they're dirty. A lot of good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. Well, that's the way this world is. It hadn't been right since Adam and Eve sinned, and still isn't right. And sometimes bad people outlive the good people. We talk about uh, holy saints of God who die before their time, at least that's the way we put it. It wasn't really before their time, it's according to God's plan. But you look at people and you think, boy, I sure wish I had more time with that person. That was a good Christian. The lesson in this is that the outcome, the outcomes in this life are, for your behavior are not guaranteed. In other words, you could do everything right and still suffer and still maybe even have a shortened life. The outcomes in this life are not guaranteed. Therefore, do not base the outcomes in this life do not have that as a base for your behavior your motivation for living wisely needs to be eternal in nature not just about this life don't go to God and say God okay I'm going to make a deal with you you make this part of my life better and then I'll obey you or I'll obey you God but boy you better, you better pay off because if, if this doesn't pay off in the way I want it to happen, I'm just not going to obey you anymore. I know Christians that sort of make deals with God on that. The only guarantee we have from God is that if you live a wise life and a righteous life, God will reward you in the next life. If you live a wise and righteous life, most likely... You will reap some benefits here in this life, but it's not guaranteed. 
you might some of the most holy saints of God in all of human history were those that were tortured and killed and they received no benefit here in this life and yet they lived a righteous life based on the promise that in the next they would be rewarded they believe what Jesus said and so don't live your life don't let your life's motivation simply be whatever you can get out of this life because nothing is guaranteed in the next chapter in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 11 Solomon says I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all again there's no guarantee in life how things are going to turn out for you it's best to invest your life portion in that which is eternal God's work the next verse verse 12 in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says moreover a man does not know his time like a fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them you know you go fishing do you think that little fish knew today would be the day that his mouth he would open up his mouth and get hooked on a line that he would fall into a trap you never think about that when you're fishing do you you never put yourself in the shoes of that fish that doesn't make any sense fish don't have shoes but you never do that do you you never think about it from the fish perspective what about the birds you're gonna you're gonna go hunting and you're gonna go uh, uh shoot some quail or whatever it is that you like to hunt you think that quail woke up thinking this is it this is my last day I'm gonna make the best of it no the fish didn't know the bird didn't know neither do you neither do I we don't know and so we're just like the fish or the bird there may be an evil uh, time that come, suddenly comes upon us and and we're caught in a difficult situation or even our time on this earth comes to an end time and judgment time and judgment you don't know how much time you have but you do know that God is going to judge righteously in the end one last verse Ecclesiastes 11:9, and this is really the key verse for us today that I want you to take home rejoice young men during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes live it up Solomon says have a blast in this life rejoice during your childhood let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood follow the impulses of your heart the desires of your eyes do what you want but know this yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things time and judgment what you do with your time is up to you. Whatever time you have on this life, in the, on, on this earth, in this life, whatever you do with your time, it's up to you. But the judgment's up to God. Let that help you live wisely.